from the AMF Podcast Studios. This is the Health and Safety Law Report. I'm Doug Jenks. And I'm Abby White. So Happy New Year, everybody. I um, hope everybody survived the holidays, or let's let's put it more positively and say, hope everybody <laughs> enjoyed and thrived during the holidays. How's that, Abby? That sounds good. Yeah, it's always fun. I love the holidays, but it is an awful lot of work. So it's good to be on the other side. Our last episode, we wrapped up the year by talking about what was it we discussed? Uh, we did the top ten. Yeah, we did the, oh, the- we did a countdown. <laughs> The top 10 yeah. uh, most cited uh, standards for uh, fiscal year 2022. That was exciting. That was a great way to end the year. We'll probably do that uh, in, in future years, I think. So today, what we have in store is sort of a, we'll call it a uh, potpourri or maybe a smorgasbord. Of <laughs> a few different things that we wanted to touch base on couple things that are important for you as employers to know right now and a couple things or at least one thing to think about for the future and then a couple other interesting things. We're going to talk about the penalty increases that have recently gone into effect. We're going to talk a little bit about a new proposed rule or a potentially proposed rule that would allow a union representative to accompany a compliance officer on an inspection of a merit employer or a a non-union employer. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the report deadline coming up for employers that are subject to that uh, electronic reporting requirement. Then let's talk a little bit about what happened with poor Damar Hamlin and ask the question whether or not OSHA has any role to play in that. And if that's not enough fun, then if we've got some time, we could talk a little bit about the recent developments on the movie shoot uh, for uh, Rust and what's going on there, because there are some interesting headlines uh, with that topic, right? Yeah, yeah, right. we can stray a little bit from OSHA to talk about that if we get to it, because I've been following it since day one. I think it's kind of interesting what's going on. So, yeah, it is. And, and well, we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll talk about it. But yeah, it seems rather maybe. unprecedented what has happened. Yeah. So. All right. Well, so let's talk about the uh, new penalty increases. What do you got? So every year, OSHA increases uh, their penalties to keep up with inflation. There's actually an Inflation Adjustment Act that requires them to increase penalties every year. Uh, So this year, the uh, penalty increase took effect on January 17th. And so now the uh, maximum penalties for a serious violation or an other than serious violation have increased to $15,625 per violation. And they used to be $14,502 per violation. Um, And again, that's the maximum, the minimum for a serious violation is about $1,200, it's 1116 um, And then other than serious, the minimum is zero. So, I mean, you could potentially get inspected and cited and have no penalty, but those are the maximums and the minimums. Um, and then the maximum penalty for a willful or repeat violation uh, has gone up from $145,000 to $156,259. So... Wow. It's pretty 
pretty steep. Pretty steep. Um, and that's, again, per violation, you could have potentially more than one um, in an inspection. And the minimum for willful and repeats are $11,162 per violation. How about the failure to abate? Yeah, that's $15,625 per day past per, the abatement deadline. Per day. Per day, every day past the abatement deadline. That is strong encouragement to abate your OSHA violations. Yeah, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the term abate or abatement, it, it means what you think it might mean. It just means you have to fix the violations that OSHA has cited you for. So OSHA says, hey, here's a problem. Here's what we're citing you for. You have to fix it and either eliminate it or, you know, adopt some workaround so that your employees aren't exposed to that hazard anymore. And then prove it to OSHA by sending them pictures and, you know, purchase orders and all those documents to show that you have taken steps to fix the problem. Important to do that for many reasons, yeah. not the least of which is the penalty. Right. Exactly. So, you know, ironically, this, this is all a uh, cost of living adjustment. This is this is part of inflation that the it is. penalties have increased so much. It's all, you know, gas prices go up and so do the OSHA penalties. Yeah, it is. And, you know, um, there are obviously built OSHA uses a calculation to calculate penalties and they account for things like the size of the employer and and number of employees and, you know, industry and things like that, good faith, um, whether you had a strong safety program, things like that can factor into the penalty. I'm not necessarily saying you are going to get hit with the maximum penalty, but um, those would be your fines if you were. Right. And, yeah. and often what happens when there is a citation, it's not just one citation, it's usually multiple citations. So these things, will, yeah. you might not get the full penalty. In fact, I, rarely see the full penalty right. discounted in some way, but there isn't just one penalty. There's usually several, so it can be very expensive. True. Okay. Thank you for that. In other exciting news that uh, is going to get employers attention, there is potentially going to be a new rule that will allow a union representative to accompany an OSHA compliance officer on an inspection of a non-union employer. And let's just back up a bit and talk about how we got to this potentially, it's, it's a problematic proposal in, in my opinion. Well, let's talk about how we got here. Section 657E of the OSHA Act authorizes a representative of the employer and a representative authorized by employees to accompany an OSHA agent during an inspection of, uh, of the employer. And in 2013, under the Obama administration, there was a memo uh, published by OSHA, it's called the Fairfax Memo, and this memo expressly allowed employees at a work site that is not uh, subject to a collective bargaining agreement, so a work site that's a non-union shop, 
allow those employees to designate a representative of them who could be from a union to accompany the compliance officer. So basically what that means is, or what that meant was that a union representative could show up on the job site with the compliance officer and the employees would agree that that person is gonna represent them, even though those employees are not members of that union. And so then the union uh, representative would accompany the compliance officer throughout the inspection and would have an opportunity to talk to the employees about safety. The union rep could point out things that the compliance officer should be paying attention to. The union rep could then talk to those employees and tell them about what a good idea it would be if they were all part of the union and how they are less likely to experience those kinds of uh, safety problems if they're represented by a union. At least that's what the union rep could could say. I'm so, horrified by this, by the way. You're, you're horrified? I, yes. Yeah. I just well, see so many problems with this. Sorry, go ahead. I, I interrupted you, but I just find this all just very concerning. No, it is. And and you aren't the only one. Um, lots of people uh, were very upset about this. There were legal challenges uh, to it. And it eventually was withdrawn uh, in 2017. So the legal challenges, I don't think the legal challenges ever like came to fruition uh, because this... Uh, uh, this policy or this the memo was was withdrawn, and so we're not facing that at the at the moment. However, OSHA is now reviving that policy, uh, and they are proposing a rule that would allow this to uh, take place again. So in May, or OSHA has set a target date of May to issue a notice of proposed rulemaking um, that would result ultimately in a rule that would make this so. Um, and so if you were a non-union shop, you would have to put up with a union representative coming onto your property and talking to your employees about unionizing. So this would go beyond just a memo. This would be an actual rule or like an OSHA standard. Correct. Wow. What is their justification? Like what have they said what they think this does to further their goal of ensuring health and safety in the workplace? Because that's their goal, right? Their goal isn't supposed to be to penalize. Their goal is supposed to be to ensure safety and health. And to me, this just seems very punitive. Okay. Well, um, I'm glad you asked that because uh, there's actually a um, section, 1903.8C of the OSHA Act, states that it talks about allowing somebody to accompany the compliance officer on the inspection. And it requires that that individual be an employee of that employer unless the individual's participation is, quote, reasonably necessary to conduct an effective and thorough physical inspection of the workplace, unquote. And so the justification is that the union folks would have expertise in industrial hygiene or safety or something that maybe the compliance officer wouldn't have. And so then it would be advantageous to bring that person which suggests that 
you know, maybe the OSHA people don't know what they're doing, which is not true because they're fairly highly, I mean, they're very highly trained. I don't think they need yeah, the help. Some of them are. I mean, yeah, you're right. They definitely have their subject matter experts because when you get on a like an informal conference, the area director will say, oh, hold on, I've got so-and-so in here because he's my subject matter expert on logout, tagout or whatever. So I don't... That's right. I don't know. Yeah. I have some so, thoughts about this. None of them are good. What? You, well, I'm sorry. What'd you say? I said I have some thoughts about this and none of them are good. This just, I don't know. It feels like a massive intrusion. Yeah, you might feel that way if you are an employer, you're being inspected and that's um, potentially troublesome enough. And then to have uh, some stranger come onto your your uh, your property and start you know, advocating to your employees that they should all join a union that that might be offensive to you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you uh, for indulging me on that and keep uh, we'll keep our eyes open. Uh, for a proposed rule. And then once once there is a rule proposed, it takes many years for it to become a uh, standard. And there will certainly be lots of legal challenges to this. Yeah, there will be a, a comment period, right? Correct. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what those comments are. Okay, so let's talk about the reporting deadline coming up. Yeah. So by March 2nd, employers who are required to submit their injury and illness data to OSHA have to do that. Um, it can be done online. And um, the employers that have to do this, it's not every employer, it's just employers with 250 or more employees or employers that have between 20 and 249 employees if they are in certain specific industries that have historically high rates of injury and illness. And if you don't know if you're in one of those industries, it's real easy to get onto OSHA's website and look at what those industries are. And just remember that if you're looking at the industry, note that you might be a sub part of an industry. So they'll just give you the general industries and the general topics. And then you can sort of click through and figure out whether you are in that industry or not. But that's the easiest way to do that is to look at your num your NAICS number and figure out whether you're in one of those industries. So again, that's if you have 20 to 249 employees and all you're submitting is your 300A summary. You're not submitting your log. You're not submitting any incident or illness reports. You're just submitting your summary. So that's by March the 2nd. So if you've got more than 200, 250 or more employees, then you have to submit your summary data but if you have fewer than that, but you're one of those covered employers in a riskier, I guess, industry, then you would have to submit the uh, 300A, right? True. Yes. And that would include, I know construction contractors are under there. Yes, they are. A lot of employers are under, are under that list. I don't know what the percentage of employees or employers that would fall in that, uh, in that list, but a, a lot. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more than you would think, because like I said, you know, they have a list of, I don't know, maybe 20 or so industries. But when you look, you know, when you kind of click through and look at what's in those industries, it's really, I think, broader than you would realize just by looking at the list that they put up there. So yep. um, it's good to check it out. Make sure you're compliant. So March 2nd, that's your deadline and you can do it online. There's a whole step-by-step -step click through instructions kind of thing for submitting your, your summary. So hopefully it's not too painful to do that. I've never actually done it. I've never had to submit 
Right. Submit one of these things. But the, the clients I've talked to that have done it don't have too much too much trouble with it. Yeah, I've gone to the website and I've moused around. It's the yeah. it, it's the injury tracking application. That's what it's called, the ITA, the injury tracking application. You just create an account and then you get your login and then once you do that, then you're you're good to go. It's not too difficult from what I've been told and it, it doesn't look like it when I've uh, taken a look at it. Yeah. For what that's worth. So what's going on with the NFL? Obviously, as everybody on the planet knows, DeMar Hamlin collapsed with a cardiac arrest and had to be revived right then and there on the field. Otherwise, he would have he would have perished. And the reason we bring this up is because I've spoken about sports or the NFL or the entertainment industry before. And the question is whether or not OSHA has any role to play in something like that. And, and if OSHA were to exert itself into that world, it would do so through the general duty clause. And the general duty clause requires employers to provide a place of employment that is free from recognized hazards that are likely to cause serious injury or death. And because there's no standard on professional sports, there's no OSHA standard on uh, football, professional football, then they would default to the general duty clause. And I'm not advocating for it, but there have Please been don't. some. Huh? <laughs> Please don't. That would be terrible. <laughs> I, I think it would be terrible. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll get into that in a second. But there have been some people who have advocated for it. There was a an article published in 2018 that uh, basically advocated for that position. This was uh, the Arizona Law Review, and the, the title of the article was The NFL is a Workplace, the Prospect of Applying Occupational Health and Safety Law to Protect NFL Workers. Um, and this article suggests that that might be a good idea to do that. And, and I, I disagree. I, I understand that we were all uh, upset about what happened to uh, DeMar Hamlin. I mean, it was awful and, and horrible to watch. Um, the, the question is whether or not that's something that can be mitigated by, uh, by OSHA. And I just don't think OSHA has a role to play in this. It's, I, we have, as a society, have agreed to suspend the normal rules and customs that govern our everyday living when it comes to sports. And what I mean by that is if we did not have that understanding that we are suspending the everyday rules that govern our society, then you'd have police come on the football field every time there was a tackle, <laughs> right? Because every tackle, True, yeah. every tackle is an assault. Or battery. Yeah. Assault battery. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And we've all decided, no, no, that's not what it is. We are, we're putting all that aside and we are living within the rules that are set for the game. It yeah. seems to me that if, if, if any sort of law enforcement uh, or any legal action would be involved, it would be if somebody was, did something horrible outside of the rules that everybody has agreed to be governed by when they're playing that sport. Do you agree? I agree. Yeah. And they, I mean, the NFL has, you know, keeps 
adding rules and adopting rules to protect players from, you know, certain late hits and that kind of thing, you know, there's only so much that can be done and still have football be football and still have sports be sports. And, you know, if you eliminate contact, you know, to a certain point, players won't want to play anymore because they'll be too concerned about whether what they're doing is, you know, something they're allowed to do or not. You have to, I I don't know. I, I think, I think that would be a nightmare, honestly, if OSHA ever tried to regulate professional sports. You can't have, uh, the general duty clause used to make the intrinsic activities of an industry illegal. Right. There's actually a case law on that. Um, So that's what would happen here. It would essentially make the whole sport uh, a violation. And you, and, and you simply cannot do that. There is settled case law precedent on that, on that point. So it, should not be uh, something that could happen here. I agree. I totally Horribly, agree. I did some research. Horribly, um, there have been other cardiac arrests in uh, sports. There was one death during an NFL game in 1971. Uh, really? Yep. There was a, a, a player for the Detroit Lions, Chuck Hughes, had a fatal heart attack during the game. Mm. And perished right then and there, which was if this happened today, he probably would have survived because the uh, equipment and the training is probably a lot better than it was back then. Um, there was also recently in I think it was 2020 or 2021, a Danish soccer player, um, Christian Eriksen, had a cardiac arrest during a game. Um, he was uh, it was Denmark's game he played for uh, Denmark and he was playing they were playing against Finland he had a heart attack and collapsed he was resuscitated right then and there on the field um, was carted off the field and gave everybody a, a, a thumbs up after his heart had stopped basically this gentleman was dead. wow yeah. wow really uh, really amazing it does happen it's very rare but it does happen it's usually linked to maybe some sort of genetic defect or um it's possible that a, a blow directly to the heart at one certain point of the heart uh, cycle could stop the heart. That may have been what happened to uh, Demar Demar Hamlin, but it's uh, tragic. But thankfully, it's rare. Rare and yeah, and I mean, I I didn't when I was watching that game. I didn't see anything about that play or that contact that seemed unusual or. You know, I, I was shocked that he went down and did not get back up as a result of that. Um, yeah. So because he got back up. Well, yeah, he after, did get up and then he after the hit. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like the hit back. was unusually violent. Uh, no. Or more so than, you know, a, a regular hit. It really it wasn't wasn't a terrible uh, it wasn't a terrible hit. It just was, uh, I guess, if it, if it did happen because of the, the timing of the blow and the heart cycle, it was just bad, uh, bad timing, bad luck. Very timing. bad timing, yeah. All right, so um, speaking of tragedies in entertainment. Yeah. What do you got so, on Rust? Well, 
It's kind of interesting. I think we did an update in one of our episodes um, about the OSHA citations that were issued in that case. They had um, the uh, New Mexico, state of New Mexico, state OSHA program cited um, the production company with a willful, serious violation of the general duty clause, which is what we predicted would happen right early on. I think we sort of predicted that that would be the case. The penalty was $136,793. And I think I'm going to make a prediction and I might be totally wrong about this, but I think that this is going to become, this OSHA citation is going to become important to Alec Baldwin because he just was uh, charged this past week with involuntary manslaughter. And I think it's important because in the state of New Mexico, involuntary manslaughter basically is the, so the statute says involuntary manslaughter consists of commission of a lawful act, which might produce death in an unlawful manner or without due caution and circumspection. So that's basically criminal negligence. So you can be charged um, and found guilty of involuntary manslaughter for criminal negligence. And negligence is reckless behavior, wanton behavior, willful conduct, right? And so we've got this OSHA investigation, which I read, um, I read through the summary of the investigation, and it's really well written, and it, it makes a pretty strong case for, I think, for negligence by multiple people on that set, including Alec Baldwin. So, you know, if I'm a prosecutor, I would be looking pretty hard at this inspection, I think. But doesn't the citation, the citation was of the employer. It was, yep. I mean, they're saying that the employer was the one who did something wrong and Alec Baldwin was not the employer. He was frankly an employee. True, but that is true. However, um, he, this inspection report itself documents a lot of instances that would have involved Alec Baldwin not following certain rules or, you know, basically the employer had a bunch of safety rules in place for firearm use that were taken from the industry-wide standards for firearms on on a movie set, which we actually talked about in our, the first episode we did on this. And so the production company had adopted a lot of those as safety rules Um, And some of them were like, don't ever point a firearm at another human being. He did that. And one of them was to check firearms before using them in a sequence. And that wasn't done either, apparently. So I'm just saying, I'm not not trying to point the finger at Alec Baldwin, but I'm saying if I was a prosecutor, I think I'd be looking at this as well. And if I was Alec Baldwin, I would argue that it's not my job. There's actually somebody whose job it is on the set to take care of guns and make sure that they are safe. I mean, that's the armor's job, right? And that person was charged, True. right? She was charged. Yep. She was charged. Um, he was also a producer though, which I think is going to play into this because he wasn't Alec just an was? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, he was charged with involuntary manslaughter and, um, you know, an element of that is criminal negligence. So we'll we'll, we'll see where this where this goes. Um, if they find that he acted with any negligence, um, 
or not. I'm sure he's uh, not sleeping easily these days. So. All right. Well, we'll just have to follow that story and see what happens. In the meantime, do we have anything else uh, for the good of the order, Abby? Uh, no, I think that covers it all for today. All right. Well, very good. All right, everybody. Well, thank you, uh, as always, for listening. And remember, we are lawyers. But we're not your lawyers, at least not while we're on this podcast. 